Alright! Welcome back to the Chemist Confessions Podcast. I'm Gloria. I'm Victoria. We are skincare chemists and this is a podcast on all the skincare science we talk about. Yeah. And this episode is a meat episode and I won't say it's a real meat because meat. it's about the skin barrier. <gasps> it is packed today with all of the sciencey goodness around barrier care. Mm-hmm. But before we go into it, let's open up with some nice words. All right, we're going to start off strong with a review on the better oil. The title is The Best Oil. Maybe it needs a name change. <laughs> the oil saves my dry skin. I put a few drops on my face and my hands. Not only does my face look plump, my dried crack hands are so smooth and hydrated. I will never go without it. Yay, short and sweet. Yep, and <clears throat> I will say, doffing her best oil in DJ Khaled's voice. I'm like, <laughs> we the best oil. <laughs> <laughs> I just got caffeinated. <laughs> we the best. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes, but thank you. And yeah, also, um, we should mention, um, this is a good highlight of how an oil can be very versatile. So people use it on their hands, their cuticles. We've had people use it for their scalp. So we kind of really love that people just really make the formula um, their own. So it's awesome. Yep. All right, cool. Next Next. one, Mr. Reliable. Yep. And the title is Good Moisturizer. It is a (laughs) ring down from Best Oil, but it's a good moisturizer. (laughs) four stars. (laughs) But we are honest. (laughs) Uh, The review goes, a little goes a long way. And I think I was using too much product for a while when I first got it. I have oily skin, so I did get shiny earlier in the day when I used Mm. too much. Overall, I think it's a decent moisturizer with some great ingredients. I love that there's silymer in it. Yeah, I think this just hits it right on the nail. Mm-hmm. You know, I we talk about how this moisturizer is truly packed and we did want to make it um, just a tad more hydrating for drier skin types. But I think that's actually a really great thing for oily skin types because mm-hmm. that means this moisturizer is going to last us a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you really only need one pump max um, to really cover your bases. Yeah, I really want to highlight this review mm-hmm. because again, I think this highlights that Miss Reliable is it can be a little bit different for everyone. Mm-hmm. And since we recently reformulated it, we realized that we were not the best at communicating the changes I came with. So definitely think about this now as a little bit goes a long way moisturizer. Sure. And me as someone with dry skin, when I go to more humid climates, this can actually now be my one and done. Yeah. For the most part, I do Aquafix and Miss Reliable and it's enough to cover me. Whereas in the older, um, in the old formula, uh, I usually do have to add an oil to it to mm-hmm. make sure it's nourishing enough for me. So yeah, that's uh, the cork with the 2.0 formula. Yeah. All right, and last but not least, one review on Bomb Voyage. This is our cult favorite balm. It is an unusual guy, I will say, but we're very proud of it because of just all the ceramides. We basically tried to pummel into it, even though it didn't want to take it. So yeah. The title is Saving My Face. Nice. I'd recently had the Elocor procedure done and was left with areas of post-inflammatory erythema been brutal trying to get the redness to go away Uh, purchase this product after reading other reviews it's occlusive so safe to use after elicor and the redness has been slowly decreasing much faster than before use thank goodness for this product 
Amazing! Amazing! I want to call this review because I think during summer when it's hotter、yeah. and maybe you're in more humid condition, the balm is probably the last thing on your mind. But it's still such a good product to having a pinch.、Mm. Recently, we did the thirty sunscreen thirty day challenge, <laughs> and it effed my face off. It was just I I can't. We're taking a break. Yeah, it's almost like counterintuitive because now we don't really want to put on sunscreen. Yeah, we tried it all. We're exhausted. We, we tried it all for you, which means there are some duds along the way,、mm. and I can't even really. Pinpoint to which one really did yeah, a number on my face because、yeah. there are just so many. And again, this hi- kind of highlights that when you put your skin through rapid changes, sometimes it goes on strike, <laughs> and that has happened to me. So I've been taking a, fl- a firm break from all actives, and I've been using the balm in large. I have dry skin, so I will say this is probably something that makes Victoria scream on the inside. But at night, I am using the balm on pretty much my whole face wherever there's like. Irritation or patch or something that's developed, which is basically my whole face right now. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so thank you guys for all of your honest feedback.、Um, we're very proud that we don't incentivize any of these reviews. So definitely do take a look if you are curious about our line. People even share their skin types and routines, so it could be even more helpful for you guys to find your next holy grail. And as a thank you, please use the promo code ChemistCoin. For five dollars off your next order, and I just realized, Gloria, we are so rusty at this portion. What are we drinking today, Gloria? Oh my god, we haven't <laughs> talked about this in a long time. We usually do this at the beginning, but yes, we're, we've been taking a break from that for a while. We are recording early morning, so、yes. I'm caffeinating in one、yes. hand and hydrating in the other. Yes, <laughs> and we want to thank our friend from、uh, calcul- the Calculated Chemist for sending us these. Really cool flask, really adorable. And I just realized I'm drinking Gloria's flask, <laughs> and this is Victoria's. Yeah, oopsies. Yeah, but these but, are super cute. Yeah. So if you are looking, if you're a nerd yourself and looking for a fun tumbler,、um, our friend Tanner does these really cool flask, flasky drinks. Yeah, it's super yeah. cute.、Um, but anyways, yeah. And we're just, I'm just having iced tea. Ain't no alcohol today, sadly. <laughs> Not for a while. <laughs> All right.、Uh, I guess it's time to get in the meats. Yeah, let's get into the meats. All right, let me stretch. All right, There's a lot of science in this one. Yes, it、okay. is. Um, I think barrier care has been really <laughs> hot lately.、Mm. In general, we get questions on maybe new active ingredients.、Mm. We get questions on new products that's claimed to save your barrier. Totally. But. It gets a little confusing, so we decided that this is the episode to get back to the basics and to help people understand how to really put together a barrier care routine. We are gonna zoom in a little bit on the biology of your barrier. You know, I have to say, I think it's like hot, but then you do the initial research and you're like, that's boring. <laughs> <laughs> like, I feel like if a consumer were to like, you know, go in and like be like, yes. I have my barrier care. I'm I'm all about it. And then they go in and they just like probably feel like they've already reread all of this. Yeah, and it's like the same stuff. And so I feel like yeah, but it is worth understanding all of it for sure. Yeah,、uh, as we go through this episode, you will realize it's like, wait, hold on, this is like the one on ones of putting together a skincare routine.、Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. There's a lot to it, but um, that is. 
Barrier is the basis to putting together a good、uh, foundational routine. We always say, if you do not get this portion, do not pass go, do not collect two hundred, do not start going into actives because、mm-hmm. you know there's no point in working on like basically spending additional money that's usually higher price point on these actives when your barrier is already like struggling、mm-hmm. um, and it's already you know it's got to basically be in its best shape to start working on all of those other skincare concerns that you want to tackle. That is such a good point. I'm、yeah. Throw one of my old friends under the bus. I recently <laughs>、um, got a question from her. She's like, "Oh my god, you know, like、mm. we're at the age now where we're starting to see more hyperpigmentation come up,、mm-hmm. and it's a lot worse than before. So what can I do?" And I've known this girl for a long time. I know her. I was like, "Do you moisturize?" She's like, "No." <laughs> do I do I do you use sunscreen? No. I'm like, so you want a we, serum? We try so hard. Yeah, that's going to cure your hyperpigmentation. She's like, "Yeah." I'm like, "Okay, here's a moisturizer. Here's a sunscreen that I think is pretty good." You tell me when it becomes a habit that you are using these three、yeah. things consistently, and then come back to me. And then I'll give you the actives. That's <laughs> such a good point. Definitely value barrier care first. Yeah, for sure. All right. So, quick review: What is bar- a good barrier function? Yeah. So, generally speaking, barrier care is kind of just this generic term for what your skin is supposed to do, which、mm-hmm. is to keep water in and keep all the bad stuff—that's pathogens, bacteria.、Um, Maybe pollution,、mm-hmm. whatever bad stuff in the environment you might experience out of、mm-hmm. your body, and one of the most important concept there is tool、mm-hmm. transepidermal water loss, and this is one of those main measurements that are actually used to make moisturizing claims in your skincare.、Um, and so, a lot of what we formulate and products that you use are geared towards tackling tool. And making sure and preventing that water loss because when your skin loses water, that's the basically the cycle of how you end up with dry skin. And just so like everyone's clear, like tool will never be zero. It's like、mm-hmm. a path that it just naturally happens. You're、yes. just trying to keep it a minimum. You can imagine if you're evaporating a crap ton of water, yes, <laughs> it's not great for yourself. It's actually such a good point. We're gonna get into that when we discuss water molecules and water content. But yes, that is. I think what people don't understand is they think that oh, I must like trap all、mm-hmm. my water.、Um, but no, no, no. You need actually water to. Permeate、um, that actually helps with the pliancy of skin and health of skin. So yeah, that's like a kind of a, a misunderstanding there. Yeah. yeah. All right. So we're gonna go into your routine、mm-hmm. and what products might affect your tool. And we want to keep this value on the low side. So things that increase tool are bad.、Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, it's gonna be a short one. It's your cleanser. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cleanser surfactants can interact with your skin protein and lipids、mm. and kind of disrupt that structure and therefore increasing tool.、Mm-hmm. It's actually how you measure a, a surfactant、uh, gentleness to see、mm-hmm. whether or not it affects tool. But for a consumer, it's really hard to look at a product and go, "Ah, yes, this will be good for my tool," or "This will not、hard、be good for, for us tool. too." Actually, if、yeah. we were to decode an ingredient list, yeah, without spending a lot of money、mm-hmm. and a ton of testing, which we don't have the means to do, so we're gonna move on to the next one, which、yeah. is the water content. But definitely, if you are curious about finding your ideal cleanser, we actually just talked about it、mm-hmm. a couple episodes ago, so you can scroll back to get some top tips on that.、Um, yeah, second one, water content. Yeah, I had. So we always say your skin is like an onion; it's got layers. But recently, have revelation. Like, it is not like an onion. It is like a beef Wellington. <laughs> I was so proud. 
Gore was hungry. The Gore's thought process has evolved from the, the time we wrote the book. Like, it's, it's great. I was like, I was literally salivating. I was telling Victoria, I'm like, dude, it's a beef Valentine. I'm telling you, you need the middle to be tender and juicy. And the outside is like this flaky crust. Think about it. She's like, please go eat lunch. So in the next, ex- uh, the next edition of Skincare Decoding, you will now see that no longer is it the cartoon onion it will be a cartoon beef wellington yes <laughs> yes yes that kind of, yes i think that I, I can see it gloria yeah, even see it. the flaky crust is mostly fatty just like the shroud cornium <laughs> it's genius but we don't really like our skin flaky so mm. let's talk about that aspect yeah so we all know that um, in your shroud corneum, you do need water. Water, um, probably the most common reason why is because um, not only do you need things hydrated and kind of, um, I want to say plump, juicy, mm. it also helps with really good cellular communication so that all of your, all of the processes that are involved in keeping skin healthy, hydrated, and helping you protect your body from the outside all of that is running really efficiently. Um, and you should know some of these. We've talked about them before. These are the ingredients that are going to be helpful in this arena are your humectants, your water grabbers. That's anything from your natural moisturizing factors, uh, your hyaluronic acid, your um, glycerin, even beta-glucan. So the one thing we did want to share, I think it's like kind of an interesting addition to all of this that you probably already know is that water is actually really essential in also helping with your skin's pliancy. Mm-hmm. We're going to get into, you know, the fatty stuff because you probably think that's actually more on the fatty um, side of materials. But I'll actually take straight from this great summary paper that Gloria found. Straight from the source, they say, There is actually a built-in loss of water escaping from the living epidermis to the environment. This is actually what we had just referenced, which is tool, right? Mm. And this environment to generate a water activity gradient within the SC, the stratum corneum, which is essential for its functioning. So we know that tool is normal. There is a normal amount Mm -hmm. um, for tool. So this water functions to plasticize the keratin within the individual corneocytes of the SC, to ensure its flexibility. This is so that the skin does not become brittle and it ends up essentially cracking the structure of SC. So you need water to prevent your skin from becoming a literal beef wallantine, <laughs> which is what my skin is going <laughs> yeah, through right exactly. now. We don't, we don't really want that flaky crust. We mm. like it to be a little bit more pasta-like. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so I think what's really neat about this is that they further go on to talk about why it's important and they actually say that the epidermis can be fooled by the environment to generate a weaker less functional sc because of this water barrier um so for example seasonal changes in the human sc lipids have reported when isolated from sc tape strippings that it's actually due to the changes in humidity 
and environmental dew points that it can cause basically um, your SC to function not as efficiently. That is so yeah, fascinating yeah, yeah. because obviously we travel quite a bit mm-hmm. and my family is in Taiwan, which is very swampy, yes. very humid. Yes. And when I go back, immediately it's like i know my skin goes through a transition period and i usually just like i don't think too much about it i just know that's like oh you're traveling your skin freaks Mm -hmm. out a little bit and i I never really pinpointed to like what it wants at that point just like slap on my moisturizer slap on sunscreen just like i know it'll just take a couple days for it to get back to feeling normal and that is so interesting that the uh, humidity can have such an effect on skin yeah so that that's the thing is like you probably if you go to asia i feel the same way it's like you go to asia and actually i feel like skin feels really great it's Mm -hmm. like plump and dewy and everything all the environment but your skin is like basically trying to calibrate and it basically causes your general this like water barrier function to tank Mm -hmm. so then you're probably don't realize it when you're going to this these like more humid places soon as you get back, your skin's like, what the hell? Oh, great. Oh, great. We just did this for you. <laughs> and like, now... <laughs> yeah. So I think we do get a lot of those questions where people say, like, I've moved to like so-and-so mm-hmm. area. Like, my skin does not know what it wants. And yeah, that's your skin just trying to sort itself out in a completely different humidity. That's a yeah. good point. And um, I have dry skin. So when I go to these more humid yeah. zones... I still I still use my hydrating serums. I still use the humectants in my routine. Yeah. Even though in the human environment can feel a little stickier, mm-hmm. it, to me, if I, if I go without it, I can definitely feel a difference. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, so that's the water portion, which I feel like hopefully that's um, something to really help promote, like how humectants are can be really helpful. But you, we all know it is not the only component we need. We also need occlusives. Yes, especially for dry skin individuals, your mm. skin is like not the best at sealing and moisture. Yeah. So to help everything function normally and to help it do its job a little better, you need occlusives. So things like think butters, petrolatum, mm. a little heavier stuff. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to go as heavy as me, like using a full balm mm. where it's like 90% occlusive. Mm-hmm. You can just think most moisturizers will have some level of uh, occlusives in there just to help seal in that moisture you apply on your face. Totally. Yeah. So just review what affects your tool. It's cleansers, water components, your occlusives. Yep. Um, so those would be the three categories to look at. In terms of biology, let's actually dive into the stratum corneum structure. Yeah. So um, <laughs> this is a hotly debated topic on yes. the interwebs. Yes. You're, you will hear that. So well, to backtrack a little bit, uh, the beef Wellington, the beef part of it is, I'm thinking of it as your dermis. This is your blood vessels. Well, it's really like a beef Wellington, <laughs> where your water reservoir. And, Bloody. <laughs> and the pastry portion is your entire epidermis. Mm. And the outer, the outermost crust is that your yellow, stratocornium. That yellow crisp outside. I'm so hungry. <laughs> So that outside is your SC and oh. your skin is constantly turning over and it's moving on and um, your old skin goes up to the outer layer and sheds. And this structure is very, very important to it. And stratum corneum is made of mostly fatty substances that we, we've already talked about. And the fatty substances are your cholesterols, your ceramides, and your fatty acids. Mm. 
And you will hear all the time on the internet, it's like, as you age, your skin's like lipid content kind of goes down, especially your ceramides. It's true. I think we read some depressing stat recently. It's like, oh, twenties. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, so that happens <laughs> what? Like in your thirties, like when your <laughs> collagen goes down, they're like, oh no, in your twenties. I'm like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not your imagination. As you age, your skin does tend to become a little drier,、mm. um, and this is partially why. And there's a lot of debate out there about how you should go about replenishing these lipids. You might hear about the two one one, the four two two, the two four two. It's all about like these concepts, like you need to replenish your skin barrier fat in the specific ratio between cholesterol, ceramides, and fatty acids. You need math. Yes, you need math. <laughs> It's like this like three D chess thing, four、yeah, D chess thing. Yeah, you're missing out if you don't use math in your moisturizer. Yeah, I we get a lot of questions about that. They're、yeah. like, oh my god, I. I am very conscious about having cholesterol, ceramides, and fatty acids in my routine,、mm-hmm. but I I think I I've, I've been doing it all wrong.、Mm-hmm. I have not been using like the two four two or the two one one or whatever、yes. ratio people are touting. We're here to tell you to take a breather. There might be some some、um, basis in having certain ratios be more helpful,、sure. but it's a lot more complex than that. And it's not the ratio is not something that we would say you need to focus on too much or like. Completely, it hasn't been decided. Yeah, and it's not like that strategic ratio. I would say it's almost like a really, really, really tiny cherry on top. Yeah, but it doesn't like make or break, you know, your skincare routine and your chances of having like a healthy skincare barrier. Yeah, our skin barriers, our skincare barrier. <laughs> <laughs> and to highlight how complex this problem really is, and why the ratio、mm. debate is kind of just like Victoria said, just such a thin slice of this whole whole、yeah. pie, is I found this paper done on people with normal skin, people with psoriasis, and people with atopic dermatitis. Yeah, very cool. So normal skin versus skin barrier issues. They did a tape stripping study, and、mm. they kind of looked at. Different constituents of their skin,、mm. more specifically, the different types of ceramides.、Mm. Ah, just threw a wrench in there. There, there's not just one type of ceramides. There's a ton of different ceramides、yeah. in your skin, and you'll see from these charts that、um, there are some tendencies there. So people with normal skin, and, and we're talking, we're not talking about absolute content of ceramides. We're talking about ratios.、Mm-hmm. You see that they tend to have higher ceramide MPs, and MPs are your、um, ceramide three, your slightly smaller ceramides, and there's a lot of complexity there because they looked at stuff like oh MP to NS, NH to NS, MP to AS, and if you're wondering、EMPs. with all the alphabet letters how to even decipher, it's really more think about there are different types、mm-hmm. in different quantities in different areas, but in this sense. The way we formulators would look, think about it more is the size of the ceramide, and it also it complicates things because like smaller will help penetrate the skin a little better versus the big fat ones. So that's why you know we really look at it. Think of it more as like the smaller molecules versus the bigger ceramides. I think would be the easiest way. Yep. And the whole point of this chart is just to highlight that the ceramide debate doesn't even highlight. The different ceramides that you can use、yeah. in these ratios. Yeah, that's a really good point. So that's why it's kind of like, oh, okay, like yes, the ratios can be a factor, but what ceramide are you even using? So it's kind of like 
uh, this is a complex problem. Yeah. And the approach we take is actually a very simple one. We're going to skip the how, why, the mechanics <laughs> and jump to clinical evidence of what is helpful. Yeah. And I think I just want to explain, like simplify, like what you said even more mm. is like the ratios Gloria was talking about previously, the 211, the 242, you know, all of that. That actually is the ratio of ceramides, cholesterol, and fatty acids. Mm -hmm. That's not, and what Gloria has done is made it even more granular. It's like, okay, you guys are all debating that, but we don't even know from a ceramide standpoint that one section of the three, do we even understand what ceramide we really need that would make an impact in helping our skin barrier? So that's why, you know, when we hear that, I think mm-hmm. also was fascinating is when we first got wind of like the debates that were happening out there, people were quite defensive. Oh, yeah. People are like, <laughs> my ratio, the best ratio. <laughs> but, you know, I realized it's because a lot of those products that tout the ratios are really expensive. So I, expensive. I, I think I'd probably be defensive too. <laughs> yeah. And I think like, and, and it's so formula dependent, right? Yeah. Like I happen to see skin circles develop the their triple lipid product mm-hmm. the kind of the backgrounds yeah and what's not even shown is like how complicated it is to get that amount of ceramides into a formula oh yeah and then testing it and then using the right uh figuring out like oh okay this ceramide is having a lot of issues do we go to different ceramide what well, to mention it's very expensive <laughs> yeah yeah so we say that products that's presented as a ratio yeah. if it's been clinical clinically tested like the classic um triple lipid by skin circles mm-hmm. or even the the epiance one which mm-hmm. is one of the sources of the other ratio debate. Mm-hmm. but these are all tested products so they are all worth a try and it's not um it's not as helpful to be hung up on which ratio is the ratio <laughs> totally and I guess we should probably explain why we ourselves also use ceramides. Even in our Mr. Reliable, we use a ratio of sorts. In Mr. Reliable, we chose to go with a pre-blend, uh, um, a pre-blend of ceramides. Mm-hmm. This has already been designed as more of a ceramide carrier system. Mm-hmm. Ceramides are these super fatty, very waxy substance mm-hmm. that's hard to deliver into the skin. Mm-hmm. So certain suppliers... And stay in formula. Sorry. Oh yeah, no. There, there's there are batches that we made where we'll heat it up to like ninety degrees and watch pellets swirl. I also love when, and this is just like a fun side story. Sometimes we'll talk to uh, suppliers about ceramides and tell them how much we're looking to pummel into our formula and be like, yeah. They're like, why are you They're doing like, that? The- why why do you why would you want to do that it's expensive and it's difficult to work with but i think gore and i really see the value of this category and well we're chemists of not us who else is gonna do it exactly <laughs> die on this hill this yeah, we're die, hill. die on this very expensive hill <laughs> yes so for mr reliable because a priority is an everyday moisturizer yes that has the barrier protection function without compromising that light gel cream texture. Mm -hmm. We had to go with a pre-blend of ceramides. But what's important to us, it's a tested pre-blend. Yes. So um, we use it at the clinically tested level to make sure that it helps provide that long-term hydration benefit Mm -hmm. without needing to heat it up to 95 degrees C and watch it swirl for three hours. (laughs) Like, the bomb. Or pay... 
a crap ton in testing to make sure it's viable ourselves. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. Yep. You know, I think that's a a good point to highlight is if you guys are looking for just like a one and done moisturizer, this is looking for established. First of all, just look for moisturizers with testing. Mm -hmm. Um, And if that does come with certain blends of, I think now you'll see it more and more blends of ceramides cholesterol and sometimes fatty acids i don't know if that always makes it in but i feel like that's like a general place a good place to start yeah yeah so we use a complex for misreliable and mm-hmm. we're like you know what our bomb needs to be this <laughs> ultimate barrier rescue bomb for desperate times that we said yes that so was the goal for that one we opted for a pure ceramide mm. and we chose ceramide mp mm-hmm. you'll see from the chart because it's usually the one that yeah. gets touted as you know it takes a beating and problematic skin and mm-hmm. also you lose a lot of this when you age but also it's a smaller molecule mm-hmm. so in terms of topical helpfulness it's a lot more it's easier for skin to interact with this to have long-term benefits than maybe like a really large chunky ceramide yep so we were like, ah, yes, 1%. We will get 1% of this pure ceramide in this freaking bomb. Yep. And uh, through a lot of pain, sweat, tears, lots of tears, anger, <laughs> frustration, <laughs> denial. does happen. <laughs> 1% was achievable. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I think hopefully that gives you an idea of how to think about ceramides, when they can be helpful ceramides on the daily versus ceramides in actual like problem solving um situations mm-hmm. but yeah that's i mean we've only touched the brick and mortar fatty substance part of the of skin barrier i guess we should move on yeah it's time to move on <laughs> people are like we're tired <laughs> um your beef Fallington is also alive as i briefly mentioned <laughs> your skin is constantly mm. turning the vegans are crying right now <laughs> <laughs> oh no Sorry. <laughs> but yes, your skin is constantly shedding. Yeah. The water content that we touch on is one of the first points is um, what helps that process function correctly. Mm-hmm. It's called desquamation, which is a fancy word for yellow skin sheds. The desquama, the, the desquamation <laughs> is your skin shedding mm. healthily. But this process can also be delayed because of a lot of factors. Mm. Aging, your skin is too dry. And I'm just going to quote a study I found that says, Delayed desquamation is the accumulation of corneal sites, which are skin cells, on the surface of the stratum corneum that leads to ultimately to the... Co- I did not write this. They, <laughs> they are words on it. That leads ultimately to the cosmetic condition commonly termed as dry skin. <laughs> ding! Ding! <laughs> so what is a person to do to help speed up desquamation and get back to a normal rate? Ah! I see what you did there. (laughs) Yes. So exfoliation, which I feel like, I always feel like the uh, exfoliation things, those mall kiosk people that grab your hand without (laughs) consent and start rubbing off dry skin on your hand. Do you think they're allowed to do that now post-COVID? I hope not. (laughs) I felt like it was borderline not okay (laughs) pre-COVID. Yeah, yeah. But because of that, I always think like, the exfoliation feels like one of those things that almost feels a little hokey. Totally. But I will say it is a very important essential part of skincare. Yes. Yes. I think it's also because like when you think of 
the clays and the scrubs and the sea salt and all that. It just makes it, it just like kind of belittles the category, even though mechanical exfoliation can be helpful here. But yeah, it just like brings it down just a little. <laughs> yeah, for sure. We always say like combination of chemical and a gentle physical yeah. is the way to go here. Uh, and why we also think that exfoliation is that mm. kind of um, counterintuitive uh, suggestion we have for those with dry skin mm. because a healthy skin turn uh, turnover does help keep skin hydrated. Yeah, so, but we're going to actually in meet part two talk about how to actually apply some of these theories to mm. actual skincare habits. Mm. Um, so we'll just move right along mm -hmm. to, uh, I guess microbiome there's a lot of work there we should probably talk about just a little bit yes we i actually didn't even want to put in this episode but i feel like people are gonna start seeing a lot of these claims about yeah. how blah 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 is good for your microbiome therefore it's good for your barrier care totally. blah, blah 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 um but the reality is this is a category where the jury is kind of still out yes there's a lot being looked at in terms of microbiome you're yeah. hearing acne care you're hearing barrier care mm -hmm. Again, this is not all size fit all. So right now, the claims itself can get confusing. Yeah, it is important to bury your care, but how, what strain, what ingredient? <laughs> yeah, and even for us, we'll say you're definitely going to start seeing more and more lactobacillus ferment in your products, and we can tell you, like I said, the strain matters. So they, even though the inky will say lactobacillus, it could be doing. Very different things. Very different things, or even doing nothing at all. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the mystery behind this whole realm. And yeah, I think that's just, it's the reason why we want to share it is because this is definitely like new tech in this field that's kind of being paired with all of the acne research that's going on yeah. for microbiome as well. So it's just more good things to come that we're monitoring and thought would be fun to share. Yeah. So generally speaking, we'll put this in the category of damage prevention uh, of your barrier care. Yeah. So it's it's nice to keep up with the microbiome. Yeah. It's nice to have an antioxidant to prevent damage. But that's like kind of that where that general realm sits. Yeah. And I think um, I did want to kind of talk really quickly about just because in this realm, what's really popular is anti-pollution claims yeah. and why anti-pollution can be considered like a skin barrier category or mm. concern to think about is because, like we said, uh, good, f um, healthy functioning barrier protects your skin from outside aggressors. And pollutants are actually one of those external aggressors. There are studies out there that have looked at pollutants and how they can affect if you live uh, long term in uh, really urban, high, environment. Yeah, urban, high smog areas um, and how that can affect your skin barrier and even cause unwanted like hyperpigmentation. So it sounds I feel like anti-pollution sounds like such a hokey mm. like claim especially next to things like blue light you yeah, know, the, yeah usually those actually get paired together, together yeah but there is actually a merit to wanting to um tackle that kind of like anti-pollution aspect mm -hmm. and is why we feel that why we even you know in our formulas make sure that yes we are doing everything to promote healthy barrier but also everything to make sure that your skin um, stays really calm, soothe, 
not irritated because of those external factors. And I think that's just like one other element to think about in this realm. For sure. So these are all very non-sexy things. Yeah. Last and not least, you might ask like, well, I just want an active ingredient that's going to bolster my skin barrier. Yeah. Is there something for it? To sum up, very simply, niacinamide. I feel like that's one of the main actives you'll hear a lot that mm-hmm. can help with long-term barrier care. Mm-hmm. But we're going to just dedicate meat part two to it because obviously as one of our big four actives and one of the most popular actives on the market, there's a lot of confusion when it comes to choosing the right product for your skin there. So yeah, anyway, I hope this was helpful yeah. so far. To sum up, uh, if you're putting together a routine that's aim to take care of your skin barrier you need a gentle cleanser uh something that's hydrating so whether it's a hydrating serum or a balanced moisturizer that has a lot of humectants mm-hmm. you need occlusive to seal it in of course the amount of occlusives or the type of occlusives might differ if you have oily skin or dry skin totally. but anyone can benefit from that exfoliate mm-hmm. regularly Consider adding antioxidants or anti-inflammatory products to your routine. But we'll say these are all listed in tiers of importance. Yeah. The uh, hydrating and cleansing is definitely at the forefront. Other stuff like antioxidant can be maybe more of a frills thing. And we'll dedicate an episode for that category of products. And last but not least, consider 2 to 5% niacinamide. Yep. And we'll tell you why in the next portion. Oh, Otherwise, yeah. Uh, and now it's time to take a break. Oh, time please. To break, 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 break it up. 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 Woo! It's Animal Fun Fact Corner. All right. I feel like this year has been a lot about crabs, but we're going to continue that. It's a thing that we are hungry and craving <laughs> seafood. <laughs> yeah. And um, I feel like this Animal Corner is going to give you a really small picture on how Gloria and I converse on the daily (laughs) because it literally just like spirals into this like I don't know we always go off tangents and yeah so basically it started off with a very simple shellback crab um I really just chose this because of the way it looked it's quite funny adorable (laughs) um these shellback crabs um they're actually found in the U.S. um in the western Atlantic there are three of these species are actually found on the eastern coast of the U.S. They're unique because they have a modified fourth and like fifth walking leg um, that allows them to hook and suction themselves to shells. And so these are separate from hermit crabs. The these guys like the flat clam shells. And so they'll just like suction themselves and kind of look like they basically (laughs) basically they want to be turtles is how I envision this. My back hurts (laughs) thinking about it. Yeah. And because of the way they can like hook and suction, it actually makes it almost impossible to like remove these guys from the shell. Yeah, it's like really in there. Oh and, god. Well, leave them alone, don't try it, but yeah, it's they they really need their protection. But they're quite cute. I mean, what's they're funny so is little. sometimes they look like they're smiling, like if you look <laughs> at this guy and the funny thing is they'll use anything that's flat, so it doesn't have to be a flat shell. This is like a broken piece of like a, it's like a shell shard, basically. Mm-hmm. So they'll use anything so long as there's like a little bit of a concave for them to like attach to. If I can suction, I shall suction. Yeah. And I just love because like 
you know, we talked about the other crab that will like use anything to like cover themselves mm -hmm. and like they'll use urchins and they'll carry them. So like they're very um, scrappy in their nature. They're not picky at all. <laughs> um, yeah. And the other neat thing is that when they're little, they look really different than how they grow up. Um, so here's a diagram of basically you'd probably think it's a shrimp. And then basically their shrimp tail stays, stays the same. And then they're just, their head just gets bigger and wider. Oh, so really whoa. Interesting. whoa. Yeah, yeah. So anyways, so we're sharing that, sharing that with Gloria. And Gloria also has something to share of, of the crustaceans that require housing as well. Yeah. So I looked over, Victoria was doing the research for Animal Fun Fact Corner. And I looked over, I didn't know what it was. So I was like, Oh, Hermitcraft. Fun fact, did you know that they cannot breed them in captivity for the longest time? <laughs> and you're like, what? <laughs> I was like, why do you know this? Yeah. Fun fact. Yeah. I listened to it on a random podcast episode. Mm. And it was so fascinating fascinating to me because I think when I was in middle school, high school, mm -hmm. those like mall hermit crabs were all the rage. Yes. And I really want, I really want a bunch of them. And my mom was like, Hell no. <laughs> also, because, like, they use anything as a house. Yeah. Like, you can make, like, a Lego thing or, like, it's you know. It's super yeah, cute. Yeah. Like, I think it started with, like, oh, you can paint your own shell. Yeah. And then, it's like Victoria said, you can, some people 3D print the most dramatic things for yeah. their hermit crafts. It's super cute. And they're, like, honestly, they're it, terrible, but people kind of treat them like disposable pets, right? Mm -hmm. Like, they come and go in the malls and... But I've always had a fascination with hermit crabs. So when I heard that they can be bred in captivity, I was like, that's so weird. Where did all those mall crabs come from? And it turns out that they used to import them from like the tropics. Um, I think it's off of Island, Indonesia. And they just import them en masse. Like all the mall um, yeah. hermit crabs that you can Are think from of. from the wild. Used to get captured from the wild. Um, but because they're such hardy animals, they weren't really at risk of getting, uh, of losing all of them. So they just like bring them in by the hordes. And because they're super cheap, it just didn't make sense to me that you couldn't breed them in captivity. And it turned out that this puzzle wasn't cracked until recently by this woman called Mary Akers. They had, she had these hermit crabs um, that she kept at home and she heard that you can't breed them in captivity. And she tried and then they'll have the babies and then they'll all die or they just won't breed and just like a bunch of problems. And... Bless her heart, she had a lot of time, a lot of patience. She actually wound up emulating what a natural environment would be. So even though like her um hermit hermit crab lodging was already very put together, yeah. had the sand, had the rocks, had hidey holes, new homes for them to move into, and the salt water, she was like, maybe it's the movement. So she started like shaking the thing, rocking it, <laughs> emulating day and night conditions, <laughs> the tides, the humidity. She got real crazy. And turned out that that's what it takes. That's what it takes to raise hermit crabs in captivity. Yeah, I after Gloria told me this, I started doing a little digging. And there's, if you're ever curious, there's actually some really great articles on her. But just as a couple quotes from some of these papers were like, even with her preparation, the work wasn't easy. She called the time commitment really insane, <laughs> estimating she spent eight hours a day caring for the zoe, which is like the um, hermit crab babies, changing salt water, feeding, cleaning, repeat, and pacing back and forth, worrying, fretting. She laughed. So that was like 
she was obsessed. And I, what I thought was really funny was not even just like the mating part, but also the taking care of the babies part. So the Zoe, the, this, they call it the larval stage of a crustacean. They have to spend their first several weeks of their lives in water. And this is actually why it's so difficult is because that water obviously needs to be ocean water. It can't be like fresh water. And if anybody who owns tanks out there knows like how difficult saltwater tanks can be. Yeah. So and the worst part is these are crabs. They're not fish, which means you need terrain and Mm -hmm. you need water. Uh, And basically the females, they are not willing to reproduce unless they have access to seawater. So think about the habitat that you would require to help them breed, right? And what's really funny is if you were to Google, very do a quick Google, how to breed hermit crabs, there is a WikiHow page <laughs> that actually tells you how to do it. And in the intro actually says, this is a very difficult process. And what's really cute is they have like diagrams that tell you like step one, two. And then I'll just read like a couple of these steps. Like step two says, simulate a beach by adding two inches of sand. They basically want you to recreate the ocean ocean (laughs) and a beach side for your hermit crabs. And then like step six is create a relaxing atmosphere by adding nice scenery. (laughs) (laughs) Hermit crabs like to relax. It's got to be a mood, guys. (laughs) They got to have the ambiance. Yeah. Yeah. I love this story because I feel like it's such a interesting miracle of life type of story yeah. because hermit crabs anyone can think of them as these really hardy creatures yeah. and you don't realize that Fish. it's still like a creation of a very niche very yeah. unique situation and humans weren't able to emulate that until this one woman dedicated hours days month of her life to figuring out just the right conditions it takes to create hermit crabs yeah and i think one more thing that i thought was fascinating and the level of dedication she had was talking about how like to understand at what point they reproduce Mm -hmm. and so how this happens is the male deposits sperm on the outside of the female in these like little capsules that she carries around and then when it's time for her to fertilize the egg she'll like open themselves she'll open these up but the thing is that that reproduction happens inside the shell Mm. so like you it's in that like initial period it's like really hard to see Mm -hmm. she said a lot of times it just looks like the hermit has like bubbles on them which is like so it's really hard for her to like really even know and then and then it's like not even the reproduction part it's the baby rearing part that like apparently the larvae are like terrible swimmers and they're (laughs) tiny so they get like sucked up into the tank like the tank filters so it's like it's not just birth. It's like taking care of them, trying to get them to live, to like actually grow and be hardy again. So I was like, yeah, fascinating. This woman really loved them. I think she's part of a hermit crab society, apparently. That's adorable. So um, <laughs> again, her name is Mary Akers. For yeah. those of you curious, definitely check out her interviews, her website, and it's fascinating. Yeah, but that's the animal fun fact, two animal fun fact corners of the day. <laughs> Double time. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we're going to wrap this up with meat part two. Just one last bit of bio on niacinamide and then a couple shopping tips. Yes. So a super, super duper quick refresher on niacinamide. We've done a lot of work on this guy. Definitely check out our dedicated blog post if you're curious for more. 
But to sum up, niacinamide is our jack of all trades um, active ingredient. Your vitamin it, B3. Uh, vitamin B3, it's, it works for, it's such a popular product uh, ingredient because it works on all sorts of stuff. It, uh, it can actually help with hyperpigmentation. It works in a different path than a lot of other more popular yeah. hyperpigmentation, hyperpigmentation ingredients. So it's a great um, addition to your pigmentation routine. Yeah. It can actually, it's one of the very, very few, if not only, proven ingredients to help with pore size reduction and sebum control at 4%. Mm-hmm. And last but not least, because this is the reason why it's in this episode, is because it helps with long-term skin barrier help. It's been tested to pair well with retinol to mm-hmm. ease that irritation. Uh, in long-term studies, it definitely helps with reducing tool over time. So that is a really quick blip on everything niacinamide can do for you. I did want to add, I think because people here are like jack-of-all-trades, mm-hmm. they think that it's like a one active solves all. Mm-hmm. And I would say that just to like manage expectations, I think these niacinamide helps mm-hmm. in categories that like may not have a lot of solutions, but it's not like, I don't want to explain it. It's not like a magical, like, like will solve everything like on its own kind of active. And mm-hmm. I think that's like where people get confused. Yes. And it's also why they're dumping it into every product, you know, because I think you hear that, oh, it's like multi-benefit and you might as well just like use it at really max concentration and put put in everything. But I'm sure for those of you who ever tried, you know, or maybe went down the niacinamide rabbit hole, you'll realize like, yeah, skin is better, but it's not like. So it's not solving everything. Yes, yeah. for sure. So it's definitely, well, we, you know, when we first started working on chemist confessions, we we're like, oh, niacinamide is one of the big four. It's very proven. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yada. But the longer we work and just seeing how the industry took it and ran away with it, mm-hmm. like it's like a miracle cure all. We're like, I mean, it's like a, it's almost like a supporting ingredient. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Cure all. <laughs> exactly. Like I would say, for hyperpigmentation, if you were to compare it to like a retinol, mm-hmm. you would see the benefits of a retinol much quicker yes. than a niacinamide. But having them together is wonderful, you know? So I just, I think that's like where people get kind of like confused in all of it. Yeah, know? for sure. Yeah. But anyway, it's a proven barrier care ingredient. And that's all we have to say about that. So, <laughs> <laughs> so actually, yeah. So in terms of shopping for niacinamide, there's, now that it's everywhere and it's just like and a mess, yeah. I, let's talk about it really quick. I think, first of all, you'll find it in anything like Even your cleanser, which we are going to say whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you've seen this in your cleanser, which I've, we've seen in a lot of new yeah. launches because it's such a hot keyword, yeah. brands are starting to put it in cleanser. What is it doing in cleanser? I don't know. I don't care. It doesn't matter. That is not where you'll get your niacinamide benefits when we're going to move on from that. Yeah. So don't buy a cleanser just because you see niacinamide in it, basically. I think the other thing we briefly touched on is dial in on the percentage. Yes. Because it's already going to be in everything, just really try your best. Now the issue is try your best not to overdo it. You actually only need anywhere between 2 and 5%. So I think it's just, you know, for some reason, everyone's fixated on the 10% value. Thanks, The Ordinary. Thank you. No reason rhyme backup. 
any of that to yeah. explain why you need that much but yeah you but you definitely don't need that much at all we have it we have niacinamide in our misreliable mm-hmm. at a cool two percent so it's very layer friendly the reason why and we get asked a lot it's like oh okay so we shouldn't overdo niacinamide but what happens when we overdo mm-hmm. it it could be nothing and mm-hmm. it could be a slow buildup like it's mm-hmm. honestly a pretty vanilla ingredient compared to, say, a retinol mm-hmm. or AHA, where your skin will definitely scream at you and let you know you've overdo it. Niacinamide, if you overdo it, a lot of times nothing happens. You're just not getting that additional benefit that you think you are. Yeah. But I will say it is with every ingredient, it's still possible to build it up to a level where yes. you are overdoing it. It has happened to me before. Yeah. And this brings us to our last third tip for semi, which is do a quick decode on your in, on your product. Yeah. You might have one semi serum. You're like, oh, I only have one semi serum. Therefore, I'm not worried about overdoing it. But because it's in everything, you might... In my, you might find it in products that doesn't even call out having niacinamide and at, end up using a cleanser with it, a moisturizer with it, sunscreen, sunscreen with it, a serum with it, and you end up it ends up adding up. And at least what happened to me when I tipped over on that niacinamide use is my skin got so irritated. It was just very all of a sudden it just started flaking. Like crazy and develop the skin texture, kind of similar to what's happening now with my <laughs> um, my sunscreen overuse, and it just that texture lasted for a couple weeks. It did go away. It wasn't. It was just a little red and itchy for a week or two, yeah. and I cut everything out of my routine and went back to a very basic um, moisturizer um, and cleanser routine, and eventually went away. But at least that's what happened to me. We've heard of people breaking out. Yeah, I was also gonna say for me the. When I discovered that was um, when I'm on a heavy dose of like uh, maybe like a dapolene or high level retinoid and then using a cleanser with niacinamide. Funny enough, it's not really uh, irritation. It's not really um, intense irritation. It's actually more like if it's more like sensitivity. So you finish washing, then all of a sudden you feel like if you were to touch your skin, it's just kind of like. It, it almost just you there's a sensation there mm-hmm. and i would say yeah it's differing for everybody some people deal with redness some people deal with texture issues so there's no real defined like niacinamide overdone irritation definition or side effect but you you know if you i think that's such a good point it's like you probably wouldn't even realize it until weeks of use yeah yeah exactly yeah. so Definitely just, if you don't need more than 5%, don't yeah. use it at, at over 5%, why risk it? Yeah, so I think, okay, there's a lot of formats that mm-hmm. use niacinamide now. We should talk about our probably favorite uh, format, and we definitely would have to say in a moisturizer, it makes the most sense to us. Yeah, to us, it's a ultimate companion um, active. Yeah, we That's also why we added 2% in Miss Reliable to kind mm-hmm. of bolster the barrier care long-term yeah. aspect of it. Yeah, But um, because it's a easy place well with a lot of ingredients, type mm-hmm. of ingredient, it doesn't need to be a dedicated serum. Yep. To us, that should be reserved for finicky actives like vitamin C or retinol that's yeah. really hard to formulate with other actives yeah so yeah moisturizer yeah. is our go-to and then probably less favorites i think it's gotta be i don't need it in a cleanser like you said mm-hmm. don't care um and the other one is there's a lot of like 
basically single niacinamide boosters. Yeah. Now that niacinamide is in everything, I just feel like it's not really necessary, necessary anymore. Yeah. To yeah. have a whole step just to put exactly. 10% niacinamide in You're your also, skin. as a chemist, we can tell you that's like you're wasting a step when of all the ingredients that needs a single separate step, that's not the guy. Yeah, we can definitely, definitely tell you that's not the guy that needs that. So For yeah. sure. Um, yeah, so that's it for niacinamide. In terms of other things we talk about, ceramide is definitely a big category to figure out how to shop for. Yeah. I guess with all the ratios and meeting cholesterol and all that. Yeah, and this one's also really hard to decode because totally. there's so many, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes you'll see a product that has like 18 different types of ceramides on the bottle, mm -hmm. but you don't really know if it's truly helpful. So first of all, we would say definitely don't shop again just because of the ratio. The classics like um, SkinCeuticals Triple Lipid or Epions, they have their own clinical. Mm -hmm. You can take a look at that and use a clinical to help guide you on your purchase decision. Yeah. There's also a new trend coming out where they're basically saying ceramides from plants. Yeah. That's a funky one. And mm. we'll say, you know, it's probably it's new tech that hasn't been completely ironed out. But like you said, or like we've said, the ceramide train is a move-in, so they're going to capitalize on every benefit possible. And so, you know, if you hear about how like, oh, these are plants with good ceramide components, mm -hmm. um, yeah, we probably wouldn't give it a ton of weight unless it came with some good testing. You still want to look for the ceramide um, actual ingredient label in the inky because mm -hmm. um, we, yeah, that's kind of a weird one that's yeah. coming out. We're also starting to see ceramides are being put in a lot of different formats, yeah. right? Traditionally, you'll see a ceramide in a pretty rich, heavy cream or some sort of moisturizer. To us, those are still the preferred format because ceramides are these like thick, heavy, waxy, um, waxy components. That's hate what water. Hate it. <laughs> hate. It's there to help your skin repel water. It <laughs> hates water. Hate. Yeah. And that's, again, that's why we have it in our moisturizer and a thick balm. Yeah. But we're starting to see things like ceramide toners and ceramide oils. We'll say these light fluid formulas, we have kind of our suspicions in terms of how much is actually in yeah. there. Also, what types of ceramides are in yeah. there and how helpful they truly are. Totally. I think, yeah. And hear from us when we say, just don't really know how much is in there. Mm -hmm. um, I think I did want to share um, Ceramidin's liquid toner. And you can see, like, when you imagine toners, there are ceramide toners where it's just like a clear water-based liquid. Mm -hmm. And that is very funky to us. <laughs> um, if you look at ceramide and toner, it's almost what looks like liquefied shea. Mm -hmm. And that, we're like, okay, I kind of can see how that works. So hopefully that gives you an idea of, like, where to get your ceramides from versus better formats versus not great format also i think in cleansers there's no like that would be so little because the price point there's would just no be, way it'd just be so expensive yeah even when like a cream cleanser i i i just think and when i see it in a cleanser i'm immediately like if it's over 0. 0.0001 yeah. i'd be shocked yeah yeah totally yeah 
So hopefully that helps you navigate the ceramide landscape that's going to be ever growing. Just wait till we hit fall. You're going to see a ton more launches. Um, and then finally, let's touch on AHAs very quickly. Um, just more of maybe formats to try. I think for me, what I really want to talk about more is just like frequency. Mm-hmm. You know, normal skin, the cell turnover cycle should be pretty regular. Mm-hmm. I think maybe be able to tell them like when you need to like increase amount or maybe frequency and maybe when to dial back. Maybe. Yeah. So for me, this uh, me personally, the simplest way to remember frequency or uh, level of yeah. AHA to use is a once a week wash off mask because yeah. your skin functions are like two week cycles. So once. A week to once every other week on a more high-level AHA. To me, that keeps skin uh, turnover at a good amount. Totally. If you use a toner level, so anywhere from 5 to 10% AHA, like glycolic lactic acid, those you can use daily. Yeah. And most of the testing of its benefits is being looked at on daily use because it's so low level. It's only helping on very calm, minuscule amount. So you don't need to, you, you need to use it at a higher frequency. I will say that one to dial up, one to dial back is a little bit funky. Like you yeah. have to pay really close attention to your skin. The once a week rinse off mask, to me it's pretty simple, is after I use a mask, uh, the couple days after, do I experience any sort of irritation? If I if I overdo it, I can just tell the same thing as um, what Victoria mentioned about niacinamide is after washing, there's a sensation. Mm-hmm. It's a not full irritation. Right? Yeah, it's just like a little... Hmm. <laughs> I'm gonna take a chill pill and take a break this week. Yeah. Um, that's usually how I see it. When I need to dial up, for me it's just like, man, this dullness thing. <laughs> it's gonna look real crabby. So would you ramp up more than once a week? I still wouldn't. Okay. I think to me that's, that's kind of risky. Like the limit. Yeah, okay. that's still risky. And when I say dial up to more than once a week, that's definitely talking about using like a 20, 25, 30% mm-hmm. mask. I um I still wouldn't overdo it, even if my skin's like looking a little meh. Yeah. Um. That's when I would kind of use the help of a physical exfoliant if yeah. I feel the need to like kind of slough off more dead cells, just because the risk of over exfoliating isn't worth it to me. Yeah. At that totally. Point. I mean, and you know, we even once a week we would say that's like it doesn't owe like I guess how to say it. The frequency doesn't have to be once a week. There mm-hmm. are people that actually do like high level masks once a month and yeah. that's like good enough for them. And then they can like ramp up that frequency. Also, don't forget, you're probably using other actives. Mm-hmm. So trying to find that schedule, it may differ for everyone. And this is talking about like high level AHAs, the 20% and upwards. Yeah, I just think there's just this, first of all, there's this pressure to mm-hmm. maintain your cell turnover. There's also an addiction i think to oh, AHAs yeah. because you love the way your skin looks the next day mm-hmm. after you use an aha um especially mask mm-hmm. um skin just looks that Glow. glassy look that yeah you glass super skin, smooth all of that yeah it just looks your best and so i think people get addicted and they feel like oh i have to keep doing that no no, no, no. like th- let's be kind to your skin please um that's something i feel like we refrain like i actually felt the need to uh, refrain from doing that when i was younger Mm because like with acne nothing helps you know fade it quicker than using ahas bhas 
And you just get addicted to that, like, fade faster, hurry. <laughs> it almost feels like a chemical shovel that like, gets in there, like, yeah, like yeah, walls yeah. it out. You're like, yes! <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think that's, like, it's so easy to overdo. So mm. definitely just want to remind everyone of that frequency and how it is helpful to combat dry skin. It is helpful for a skin barrier, but you can always overdo it. Cool. Well, we hope that was really helpful. As you can see, I don't think... Barrier care is a one product solve all problem. Mm. It takes kind of a full routine to a think family. about it. Yes, and <laughs> and you I, you will start seeing claims that it's a one problem, one product solve yeah. all category totally. though. So just keep an eye out. Hopefully this is super helpful. Let us know if you have any questions. And where can they find us, Victoria? (laughs) Giving to you this week. (laughs) You can find us on Instagram at our handle chemist.confessions. You can write to us um, and actually check out our website, um, chemistconfessions.com, and then email us at info at chemistconfessions.com. You can also uh, actually add your comments just down below here, and we're the ones behind and all of the our responses and then finally you can check out our content on tiktok but do not talk to us there because we will not answer that um but otherwise we hope you enjoy this episode no idea what's coming next but stay tuned yep we'll see everyone next week bye